This morning we're going to look at the question, why the church? Today people have a lot of opinions about the church. Um, our, uh, our reputation probably is at an all-time low in this country. I want to share some statistics with you in just a second. But uh, I, I don't know how, what you say about your church or how you feel about it. A story is told about a grandmother who took her twin granddaughters to church one day. They didn't go to church. This was very out of the norm for them. And at the beginning of the service, they were fidgeting, and they were just couldn't stay still. And the grandmother pinched one of them, and she says, you know, be still. But mama, it's boring. And she said, it's supposed to be boring. <laughs> A little later on, the two of them were talking in the service, and during the sermon and she put her hand across them and she said shh be quiet and one of the little girls said to the others I think we need to be quiet because people are sleeping (laughs) when we say church what do you what comes to mind in Matthew 16, Jesus has a conversation with his disciples on who he is and the nature of the church. We're going to look at that this morning. Before we do, I want to go to the beginning of chapter 16 and look at uh, a discussion that Jesus has with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He says, you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but, do, but you cannot interpret the signs of the time." An evil and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. This is actually the second time that the Sadducees and the Pharisees have asked Jesus for a sign. First time, Matthew tells us in in chapter 13, they asked for a sign. And he goes into more detail about the sign of Jonah. Basically, the sign of, of Jonah is the Messiah figure. Three days, he was in the belly of the whale and came out alive. He went to Nineveh, and with the very words of Yahweh, the people were converted. Jesus is the sign. I think the problem today is is that we don't talk enough about Jesus. There's some staggering statistics about the church. Since the year 2000, More than 4,000 churches per year have closed their doors. 40,000 churches have ceased to exist. Does that surprise you? I was just shocked by those numbers. At the turn of the 1900s, um, there were 27 churches to every 10,000 persons. At the start of this millennium, There were only 11 churches to every 10,000 people. Now, when we do the math with these statistics, what that tells us is that 2.7 million church members drop out each year. Why church? And church, are there signs that we should be reading? 
Should we be looking at our culture and reading the signs and looking at ourselves and, and, and evaluating what we are doing? Do we see the signs? Are there signs that we should be reading? Why the church? Why the church? In a recent survey, people were asked why they don't attend church. They were asked, why do you not attend church? Here's what they said. Number one, there's no value in attending. People believe they can't connect with God or that they can connect better on the golf course <laughs> than, than at church. It doesn't do anything for them. They don't get anything out of the services. Um, they would agree that they're interested in spiritual things. Remember that phrase I used last week, spiritual but not religious? What does that mean? What is the value in coming to this church? What makes you want to come here? Number two, churches have too many problems. Well, okay. Here's the words that are used to describe us. Inflexible, stubborn, hypocritical, insincere, negative, judgmental, and just plain mean. They would also report in this survey that there is more division and friction than they would find in other groups. One man even said, I have enough problems on my own why should I go to church and find more? Now, what's interesting to me about this survey is these are people that don't go to church. How do they know? <laughs> Seriously, how do they know? This is what they hear from us. Let that sink in for a minute. Number three, I don't have time. I love this one. I love it. I don't have time. <laughs> Do you know how many hours there are in a year? 8,760. I, I decided to play with the math a little bit, and I know that this fall I will spend at least 200 hours watching football. At least. And that's not even my favorite sport. <laughs> Basketball. Now, <laughs> there is no telling. I mean, I can probably watch 200 hours of basketball just doing March Madness. Let's see. To go to worship, well, it's, if we're here, it's... I'm going to be generous and say an hour and a half, so that's 70 hours um, going to and from. At maximum, if we're here every Sunday, 100 hours. Out of 8,760. The fact of the matter is we find time for the things that matter to us, hobbies, family, vacations, sports, arts, music, music TV, shopping, 
And number four, I'm simply not interested. I'm simply not interested. Yet, Barna tells us that 75% of the population wants to grow in their spirituality and in their relationship with God. So why not church? What is it about who we are that, that is a barrier to that 75% that's looking for nourishment for their soul? And, and what are we doing? What are we saying? How are we living that's, that's turning them off and standing as a barrier? Why the church? Simon Sinek, in a business book, um, that kind of blew my mind a couple of years ago when I read it. He said, start with why. He said, if any organization, any group of people has to start with their why. And that's what I want to do this morning is talk about our why. Real quick, let's pray, and then we're going to look at Matthew 16 and his discussion with his disciples. Lord God, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Famous passage. Jesus is talking with his disciples. Who do they say I am? Oh, John the Baptist, um, Elijah, one of the prophets. But who do you say that I am? I think the answer to the question why the church is found in that question. Look at verse 13 if you have your Bible with me. What does Jesus say here? Verse 13, chapter 16. What does he say? Now Jesus came and he says, Who do the people say that the Son of Man is? Who do they say that I am? Oh, and they gave him the answer too. Here and there, John the Baptist, duh, they were cousins for goodness sakes. They probably looked alike. They preached the same messages. Elijah, some unnamed prophet, then he says, what about you? Who do you say that I am? You know, that's a question for the disciples, but it's a question for us too. It's at that point that Peter steps forward and he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Messiah. Hmm, who do you say that I am? Every major religion has to wrestle with that question. Who is God? Who do you say that I am? And, and, and all of them deal with Jesus. Even the atheist deals with Jesus. What does the atheist say about Jesus? Jesus is a myth. And they spend a ton of time trying to convince us that Jesus is a myth. You know what I say? Methinks thou dost protest too much. The Muslims, they say, Jesus is a prophet. Same as Muhammad. 
Why the church? Because Jesus is more than just a moral teacher, a prophet. Jesus is the son of the living God. Here's, here's, let's look at this passage and see what, Jesus, what Peter has to say. You are the son of the living God in verse 16. Um, and basically what Peter's saying here, I believe you are the chosen king Jesus. I believe that you have come from God. He is making a declaration of an affirmation and everything from that point on builds upon what Peter says about Jesus. You know, if, if we were to make that our why, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, would it change what we do in the church? If everything that we did began with Jesus is the Messiah, would it change the way that you lived your life? If your day began with Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus fulfills my every longing. Matthew 17. On this rock, I will build my church. Now, I'm, I'm just going to cover this real quickly, and then we're going to move on to the three, what we learned from this, the three things we learned from this about what Jesus is doing for the church. On this rock, I will build my church. And down through the ages, this passage has been misunderstood because he says, Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church. And so the Roman Catholics said, on Peter, I will build my church. And Peter became the first of the succession of popes and leaders of the church, that, that Peter held the keys to the kingdom of heaven, that, that, that every pope from then on would hold the keys to the kingdom. That's not what Jesus says. If you look at the emphasis within the Greek, what it is is that Jesus is building upon the rock of that affirmation. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And when we say that, there's three things we get from Jesus. First is a blessing. He says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. From then on, all of those who say Jesus is the Messiah will be blessed. I don't care what this culture says about the church. I don't care that, that the church, do you know that the church has declined? Do you know that every great revival for the last 2,000 years has begun with a significant decline in the church? Friends, we're on the edge. We have the opportunity to probably be a part of one of the greatest revivals in the history of the last 2,000 years. Are we going to be a part of that or not? Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Jesus promised to bless and build the church. Did Jesus promise to bless Rotary, Lions Club, Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts? What about the Shiners? Um, you know, all of those are great institutions. But none of them are built upon the affirmation, Jesus is the Messiah. He fills our every longing. Second, 
verse 18, the gates of Hades will not prevail against it, i.e., there is nothing that will stand against the church. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what we may be told. I don't care what the society says. I, I don't care the names that be, may be tossed at us or the, or the incorrect rumors about the church. The church will be victorious. That is the promise of Jesus. Do you believe that? I, I've... I've heard people in different churches talk about that they're afraid that the church is going to close its doors. And, and fortunately, my son's not up here because he's got really salty language. And what he would say about that probably wouldn't be appropriate in a church. But I almost want to say those words because it's just wrong. The church will be victorious. The gates of hell will not stand against it. And finally... Whatever you loose on earth, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, this passage has been misinterpreted down through the ages. And when you take the Greek and really you know, take a look at its form and its content there, this is not about Jesus giving the keys to Peter, James, and John and saying, okay, now, you know, Cindy... She's kind of lived a rough life, and it's up to you to tell whether or not she's going to be forgiven. Can, can we get a vote on that? How many want Cindy to be forgiven? Okay, Cindy, you're in good shape today. Thank you. Yes? Okay, now, what about me? No, that's not what it says. This is not about Peter, James, and John being given some kind of authority to carry out Jesus' work in the world. What he's saying is, is that they are given the keys to the kingdom of heaven that they may unlock the door that is between us and heaven, that in this place, when the people of God gather, that then we walk back and forth between that, between that reality of heaven and earth. There is no other place on earth but the church where we can experience heaven in some form or fashion. Now, I know what you're saying. Yes, pastor, but have you seen the way so-and-so acts? And did you go to the last so-and-so committee? I'm not going to call out the finance or the trustees today. Have you been, you know, they don't. Did you go to the last annual conference? You know, we're imperfect. We're always looking to be better. But our call, our purpose, the establishment of the church by Jesus Christ was to be that doorway. And we open that door with these words. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus fills all my longings Jesus makes me complete. And I got to tell you, if we could just stay on that why, we can be the church. We can be the church. Blessed, victorious. 
the place where heaven and earth comes together. See, I had this dream. I had this dream of serving a church or really serving with a church that the Holy Spirit grabs that church in such a way that, that we see no obstacles, we see no barriers, we see only the possibilities, only that which, which might be done or can be done in the name of Jesus Christ. That, that a, a church that is praying and offering themselves and that people will come in buses to load up and stand in our parking lot on Sunday mornings just to watch us burn with the Holy Spirit. And they're down at the coffee shops and down at the lunch places. People will say, man, did you drive by the Methodist church yesterday? That place was on fire. Why the church? The answer is Jesus. You know, it just, it seems simple, but it is the most profound statement that we can make. And if we stay on that, why? Not even the gates of hell. Not even the gates of hell. So what about you? What about you this morning? Is Jesus the Christ, the Messiah? Is Jesus the one promised of God? Is Jesus the one that you call on with your greatest longings? Are you just sitting back waiting? Do you come here to get something or just kind of enjoy what is there? Here's what I want you to think about and take away today. In a, few, in a week or so, they're going to start having football games. And I want you to notice that before every play, the offensive team has a huddle. You notice that? I mean, watch, watch real close. You might miss it. Okay? They huddle up, and they're calling the play. Now, what if, what if the football team decided, you know what? It's really good being in a huddle. And that other team's really, really big. And they're really, really strong. And they're really, really good. So let's just stay in the huddle. <laughs> let's just stay in here where it's comfortable. I mean, we can shout the name of Jesus and everybody agrees with us. You clapped. Would you go to a restaurant and get up and say, Jesus is the Messiah? I don't think so. Number one, you'd scare everybody off. Number two, people would go, ask ah, one of those crazy church people. You know, this, uh, <laughs> but you hear what I'm saying? This is our huddle. And this huddle, this proclamation that Jesus is the Messiah means nothing unless we go out there. I want you to do something. I know this sounds corny, but I want you to repeat after me. I believe, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is 
the Messiah, the anointed one from God. How does that feel? Let's do it again. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one from God. Are you willing to take those words and put them in the action? And take that all that you have and lay them at the feet of Jesus? To say, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of the living God. And so I lay my children before you. I lay my grandchildren before you. I lay my, my job before you. I lay my church before you. I lay my friends, my family, my mother, my father, all that is in this pocket, I lay before you, O oh God, knowing that you can do a better job with it than I can. Jesus is the Savior. That is our why.